Hey there, thanks for joining us for Market Sense. I'm Jim Armstrong with Fidelity. It's Valentine's Day. This year, Americans were expected to spend nearly $26 billion, that's billion with a B, on Valentine's gifts for their special someone. Here at Market Sense, however, we feel like there's no better way to say I love you than with getting on the same financial page. So that's our goal today, of course, not just to bring you the latest insights on the markets and the economy, but we also want to help you navigate what could be lasting ways to show somebody you care with financial acts of love. And I should point out, of course, the, the strategies we'll review and things we talk about today will be every bit as relevant to single people, of course, as well. To get our big markets picture, we will speak with Yuri and Timmer, as we often do. He's Fidelity's Director of Global Macro. And to get some insight on how couples can build their finances together with insights for single people as well, we'll talk to Leanna Davini. She's a financial planner and a Massachusetts-based branch leader. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Happy V-Day. Is there some little bit of red in Urian's shirt? I think that's the closest any of the three of us came. That's just, I, I, I have a love cup here. <laughs> that, that counts. That definitely counts. Um, Urian, let's start with you. It is, of course, the 14th of February, Valentine's Day. At the start of the year, you mentioned your thought for 2023 could be that the, the markets would move uh, sideways, kind of in a, in a choppy fashion. However, you know, six or so weeks in, Today, notwithstanding, the markets have been a, sort of a, a steady march upward. Has your outlook for the year changed at all based on the last handful of weeks? Um, it has not, but certainly January was very strong, and it was in many ways the polar opposite of last year. So everything that went down a lot last year went up a lot in January. Um, and so the markets, I think, are maybe somewhat declaring victory that the worst is over. And, and I, I would agree with that. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all that the lows that were uh, created uh, last October, you know, will be the lows for the cycle. And of course, a lot of bad news was priced in last year. You know, the market went down 28% from its best point to its worst point. The PE ratio, which I think is actually a better metric, um, went down about a third, uh, which is about what the average bear market produces, you know, with a caveat that there's no such thing as an <laughs> average bear market. Um, but, you know, we're not completely out of the woods yet because at now we're starting to see that earnings are starting to fall. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. While at the same time, you know, inflation certainly has rolled over. We had the, we had the CPI report, um, you know, this morning and it was okay, but it was not, uh, the inflation rate's not falling at the same rate that it was over the last, you know, six to nine months or so. But still, uh, the, the inflation outlook is improving. But I think the big head scratcher is that, you know, the Fed has now raised rates by four and a half percent in just a span of a year. And by many accounts, the economy is still chugging along pretty well. You look at the labor market, right? So two Fridays ago, we had the employment report, which is, of course, a very important uh, gauge of how the economy is doing. And uh, the jobs market is still very strong, which, of course, is great news, right? I mean, we want people to have jobs and good jobs, and there are still two job openings for every job seeker. Uh, but it, I think it concerns the Fed a little bit because there is still a, a, a lot of tightness in the labor market and wage inflation is um, a, a component that has the risk of, of be, becoming more sticky in terms of the overall inflation dynamic. So in the span of the last couple of weeks, the expectation for how high the Fed will go with interest rates has risen from four and seven eighths to about you know five point two, and 
it's not it's not a huge difference, but but it is um, it is a difference, and the the speed at which the Fed is expected to lower rates after it's done raising them uh, is getting kind of pushed out. So the Fed has been saying this all along. It's been saying, "Listen, you people in the market, you're being way too optimistic about how quickly we're going to drop rates once we're finished raising them." And the Fed is kind of winning the, this battle a little bit in terms of uh, of saying, "Look, we're going to stay higher for longer," and that's something that needs to be you know um, discounted into the market. So my sense remains that after a very big down year last year, that you know 2023 it's not going to be a terrible year. I don't think we're going to go to new lows or anything like that. But I do think it's a year where we're going to churn, where you know the 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 bulls had the upper hand in January. The bears may have the upper hand in March or something like that. But overall, it's a year where we kind of try to find a, a base. Uh, and then from there, we can we can go back back up. And it, it feels like what's behind a lot of the questions we get is, you know, to visualize it, it's, it's a hill to climb. Have we reached the top of the hill yet? Uh, can we see the light at the end of the tunnel? Whatever your analogy is, sort of, are we at the place where things can only get better or do they still have to get a little bit worse before they improve? Well, that that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question. So the market thinks that we are that we can at least see the top of the hill, right? So the market always anticipates these things. So the market doesn't wait till we get to the top of the hill, but it but it it, it starts to turn when we can see the top of the hill, and the market thinks we've seen the top of the hill. So the market thinks. The Fed is almost done, whether it's another quarter point or another half point, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't matter so much. And the market at the same time thinks that there is visibility on the economy that the Fed will achieve the so-called soft landing and that earnings are, you know, they have inflected, they are starting to come down, uh, but that there won't come down a lot. So the question is, is the market right at at thinking that? And, you know, the market, of course, is is tends to be more right than wrong because it's trillions of dollars of of investment wealth trying to anticipate the future so it, it's the market is much smarter than than all of us are but that doesn't mean the market's always always right and the market seems to be kind of priced for perfection here and that's why uh, I don't think this is yet the start of a whole new bull market cycle that will take us to new highs you know, in the in you know in the, this year, I think I think that that scenario is still out there. Uh, so I think right now the market may have more disappointments than than positive surprises in the months ahead. Okay, thank you for that. Well, and we will follow up in just a couple of minutes on earnings season, which you referenced uh, in that earlier answer. But first, Leanne, let's talk about Valentine's Day, or at least we'll talk about money and relationships, which we were talking a little bit before before the, the, the Market Sense show started and mentioning that a lot of what Leanne is going to talk about are about the tensions that can arise. It is Valentine's Day, but like if we're being honest, money, finances, budget, spending, those can be the source of a lot of arguments inside a relationship. Yes, it can. So not totally a loving Valentine's Day <laughs> theme, but uh, according to Fidelity's most recent study that we do on couples and money, it came back that 44% of partners say that they argue or disagree about money at least occasionally. So we were joking saying like, we, we kind of feel it must be more than that, but you can see on the screen here, these are the related disagreements about money where they stem from. So it could be 
when you plan to retire, how much savings is needed, if you're a saver or a spender. Uh, so a lot of different themes out there. But I will also attest just from working with one-on-one uh, -on -one with clients for, for a good amount of time and hearing the conversations my team has with couples and families, these are very normal and common conversations that um, you may disagree on. So if you're up on the screen, you are not alone. Uh, what's not up here though that I do see very often is that a lot of times one party in a partnership will take a back seat to financial planning. And this is something I'm very passionate about because we often uh, learn that we need to now take the reins of finances and money when when something tragic may happen. If it's if it's death, if it's sickness, or you know if what maybe divorce happens. So it's really important that you have both parties involved in the finances. At the risk of having you put on a couple's therapist hat, you, you must still have to, and your team, when you sit and talk with people who maybe aren't communicating super well about finances, it's it's certainly within your your, your lane, right, to, to offer some some tips and strategies to be better communicators. So what do you tell folks if, if there's that mismatch? Uh, yes. So I'd say communication is key. It's really important to make sure that you're both on the same page. You might not agree on everything, but you want to get aligned out there, like what your goals are, what your concerns are. So I often see and hear that many times when couples and families, they get on the same page, it's when they're sitting down with a financial planner. It's an even playing field or having that third party there. So it's a great time to hear out loud, you know, what are our goals? What are our concerns? What does our whole financial picture look like? And so often financial advisors become more facilitators of the conversation. I'd say in the beginning meetings, your financial advisor should be doing a lot of the listening and so that you're doing the talking and getting on the same page, understanding things like what's coming in, what's going out. Um, many have goals to pay down debt. So you have to understand what your essential expenses are. And if you're not talking about it and all of a sudden coming home saying, stop your spending here, obviously right. it can be a tense conversation. Uh, so just getting everything out there, it then allows you to plan for other goals. You know, talking about debt is never fun, but you can talk about things like retirement. What do our long-term goals look like? Maybe it's sending a kid to college, buying that second home. So these conversations are really key and then they become fruitful and it's actually can be less stressful when you have the goals and plan in place. So those feel like some really good examples about long-term planning, right, Leanna? You mentioned retirement and long-term goals, but I've got to imagine that you need that same level of, of cooperation when you're thinking about more immediate-term planning. Say you've got a, a brokerage account or something like that, a portfolio that you know you might be struggling to figure out how to diversify within it. There's some collaboration that needs to happen there too. Absolutely. So, so same advice, communication is key, but it's also really helpful to get to know yourself and your partner as an investor. So that's really important. It doesn't mean that you'll always agree on e each other as an investor. Um, things like risk tolerance or your comfort in the markets may be different, but the communication around what your goals are and then building an investment plan to reach those goals is really important. So, so we do an exercise with clients where we collaborate and we take a look after going through an analysis, uh, viewing your holistic wealth, we, diff we assign different roles and responsibilities for the wealth that you have. So you'll have an emergency fund, but maybe a part of it is having protection in your plan. Uh, maybe it's market protection or protection against income. Then there may be another category for growth, a diversified portfolio to help keep pace with inflation, but we split up the 
those um, in different buckets. And majority of the time, spouses will give polar opposite answers or they disagree completely on what should be in those buckets. And again, it's okay. It's a great way to either get on the same page, maybe need a compromise or really just open up the conversation around risk and reward. So it's really helpful. And again, I know we're catering to couples, but this is also a really important exercise if you're single or even just looking at families as well. Understanding you as an investor then allows you to build that customized, diversified portfolio for the goals that you have. And, and, you know, and the conversation, it can be a uniting conversation, right? It doesn't have to be something divides because you're solving for your, your future together. And yeah, I would just add that, you know, obviously we're talking about couples and Valentine's Day, but it's, it, it can be to other members of the family as well, right? I mean, I'm having conversations with my 26-year-old daughter who is a nurse um, and she's saving for retirement and she's doing the travel nursing right now, which means she'll 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 make a lot of money for three months, but then she'll be off for like a month or two. And so there's the whole cash flow management um, you know, side to that. And so it, it's, you know, it, it can be a family-wide conversation, even though we're we're having this, you know, this talk on Valentine's Day. No, that's definitely true. And Leanna, one quick follow-up for you. Another thing that we were talking about before the show went live today, this idea that you know you and your team will often, when you're working with a couple, uh, no matter the, the dynamic of the couple, somebody is the driver, right? Whether it's, it's two men, two women, a man or a woman, somebody sort of takes the lead. That doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing in and of itself, as long as there's that communication. Somebody might just like it more than somebody else, but they can't. the other person can't be left in the dark. Yes, someone typically takes more of the reins, but it doesn't mean that we then either turn a blind eye or we don't want to be involved or we say, oh, they do that. Yeah. Again, like I said in the beginning, unfortunately, what we can see, like life happens and you don't want to be left alone to your old devi- own devices when you haven't ever been part of it before. And when you're planning together, you both have skin in the game or, or again, family conversation, like you're both vested in the goals that you have. And that comes with a a sense of ownership and pride. And then again, you know, the want to get to the goals that you have. So I'd say absolutely. Someone always may take the reins, but it's really important to to be involved and ask those questions and and be part of it. Yeah. Love your idea of it as a relationship builder. That's pretty cool. I I was just going to add, you know, we we all know that financial planning can be to a lot of people so overwhelming uh, that we kind of stick our head in the sand and we don't want to deal with it often until it's too late in a relationship where one person is more, you know, interested in the topic or more versed in the topic than the other, you must play a big role, Leanna, in terms of facilitating the, the educational part so that the person who is less involved uh, will become more engaged and not kind of say, I'm just going to like let you do it all because I don't, it's too intimidating for me. Yeah, exactly. It could be stressful. And naturally in our industry, we could speak a lot of jargon and a, a great financial advisor is spending time educating on the options you have and making sure you're feeling well-informed in the, in the decisions that you make. So education is a, a key part of that. So speaking of which, let's get a little bit smarter when it comes to education about what's happening in the markets right now, because Urian always talks about the health of corporate earnings, right? When companies tell us how they did the previous three months, it's a great sense or can be a great sense of, of the future. So what, what do we know about this current earnings season, Urian? Yeah, and and, and you know, just to back up uh, a moment, um, so 2021 was the year where 
valuations kind of went too high, right? So the PE on the stock market went too high, the, the yield on the bond market went too low, and that had to do with all the monetary stimulus that came after COVID, you know, all the, the, what the Fed did with zero rates and all the balance sheet expansion that it did. It created a little bit of an asset bubble uh, across all assets. 2022 was the year where that bubble got deflated, basically, right? Valuations went way down on both the 60 side, the stock side, the 40 side, the bond side. And 2023 for me has always been the year where it, the question is, do, does, do the earnings hold up, right? So 2022 was about rates. When, when the Fed raises rates, if you think about it this way, the Fed raises rates, it lowers the present value of cash flows, whether it's on bonds or on stocks. And that's what's what happened in 22. Uh, the market seems to be priced for a soft landing in earnings, and they may very well be right. And the market you know, always looks ahead, right? So price doesn't always do what we think it should do because based on what we're seeing on the ground in terms of the economy, earnings. We saw that during COVID very much. Market's always a step ahead. Um, and it can do that. It, it can rally while earnings are falling, which is essentially what's happening right now, as long as the liquidity environment becomes more supportive, which means the Fed is easing. What we're seeing right now, though, is that earnings you know, they're okay. Like first quarter earnings season is now about three quarters along, about 350 companies have reported. 70% have beaten estimates, which is fairly typical by about an average of about one and a half percent, which is good, right? It's positive, but it's not as positive as we've seen in, in past quarters. And when you look at the guidance for the coming quarters, you can see that that's coming down. So my guess is based on historical trends of how earnings estimates evolve over time is that earnings will be down this year by five to 10%. Um, and, you know, the market can move past that. Like that's not a huge earnings decline, but it can only move past that if the monetary side becomes more supportive. Um, and that would require the Fed to go like, you know, we know the Fed's going to go to 5% or so, but it would need to then reverse course and go back down. And all of that is, is priced into the market, but I don't know if the market's going to get everything it wants in the time frame that it wants. So I think that is kind of the big variable for 2023. And that's why I don't think we're in the start of a new bull market. Uh, we may have seen the lows, but that doesn't mean that the next bull market has begun. So that's why uh, my view that we're going to have a trading range, I think, um, basically makes sense because the Fed, I think, will be done when we get to 5%, you know, give or take. But I think the Fed may end up staying there longer than what the market expects. And so if the market is gonna look past an earnings decline, it needs to have that, that liquidity side supporting it. And we may have a period this year where we have neither, where earnings are falling, not a lot, but they're falling, while the Fed is still remaining uh, in a restrictive mode. And I think that's the dynamic that the market is not entirely ready for, but that may come. So, you know, for the average investor, it doesn't mean you sell everything or it doesn't mean you buy everything. But I think patience, just like we need in relationships, um, uh, could be the order of the day for 2023. Oh, how am I going to follow that? That's perfect. That was great. <laughs> thank you, Yuri. And thank you for setting us up for what I feel like is probably several months worth of market sense discussions as we watch that, that delicate dynamic play out. 
And as always, if you've got questions about making uh, your personal financial plan, figuring out how it works with somebody else, a uh, partner or someone else in your family, staying on track with plans you've created a while ago, whatever the situation, give us a call. Fidelity can help. Go online, visit our website, uh, download our app, figure things out on the mobile device. Lots of ways for you to continue to learn more and to get your questions answered. Yuri and Leanna, thank you again for making time to be with us today. And for everybody watching, thank you as well. Happy Valentine's Day. And we'll see you next week. The 2021 Fidelity Investments Couples and Money Study analyzes retirement and financial expectations and preparedness among 1,713 couples, 3,426 individuals. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at that time and may change based on market and other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. This podcast is intended for U.S. persons only and is not a solicitation for any Fidelity product or service. This podcast is provided for your personal non-commercial use and is a copyrighted work of FMR LLC. You may not reproduce this podcast in whole or in part in any form without the permission of FMR LLC. To the extent any investment information in this material is deemed to be a recommendation, it is not meant to be impartial investment advice or advice in a fiduciary capacity and is not intended to be used as a primary basis for you or your client's investment decisions. Fidelity and its representatives may have a conflict of interest in the products or services mentioned in this material because they have a financial interest in them and receive compensation directly or indirectly in connection with the management, distribution, or servicing of these products or services, including fidelity funds, certain third-party funds and products, and certain investment services. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. You cannot invest directly in an index. Diversification and or asset allocation do not ensure a profit or protect against loss. Stock markets are volatile and can fluctuate significantly in response to company, industry, political, regulatory, market, or economic developments. Investing in stock involves risks, including the loss of principal. In general, the bond market is volatile and fixed income securities carry interest rate risk. As interest rates rise, bond prices usually fall and vice versa. This effect is usually more pronounced for longer term securities. Any fixed income security sold or redeemed prior to maturity may be subject to loss. Dollar cost averaging does not assure a profit or protect against loss in declining markets. For the strategy to be effective, you must continue to purchase shares in both market ups and downs. Fidelity Wealth Services provides non-discretionary financial planning and discretionary investment management through one or more portfolio advisory services accounts for a fee. Advisory services offered by Fidelity Personal and Workplace Advisors, LLC, FPWA, a registered investment advisor. Discretionary portfolio management services provided by Strategic Advisors, LLC, Strategic Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Brokerage services provided by Fidelity Brokerage Services, FBS, and custodial and related services provided by National Financial Services, LLC, NFS. Each a member NYSC and SIPC. FPWA, FBS, and NFS are Fidelity Investments Companies. Fidelity does not provide legal or tax advice. The information here is general and educational in nature and should not be considered legal or tax advice. Tax laws and regulations are complex and subject to change, which can materially impact investment results. Fidelity cannot guarantee the information herein is accurate, complete, or timely. Fidelity makes no warranties with regard to such information or results obtained by its use and disclaims any liability arising out of your use of or any tax position taken in reliance on such information. Consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific situation. Personal and workplace investment products are provided by Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC, 900 Salem Street, Mithfield, Rhode Island, 02917.